did a very good good job up there. And I, I think in terms of the message this morning, I think our hearts are already actually in that space. So there's a bit of feedback. I'm not sure if I should do something different. Thanks. Um, the, the fact that a lot of people were on their faces before God worshiping him is evidence that there is something of the reality of the fear of God in your heart. And that is the topic of this, of this morning's message, is the fear of the Lord. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to unpack this one for us a little bit today. But the, the bottom line is that the fear of the Lord is something that I feel is often misunderstood and neglected. And it is, in, if you read the Bible, it is foundational or crucial to having a relationship with God. Or it's, it's, it's the, almost the foundation stone on which Christianity is built, is the fear of the Lord. So it's not something that you can just like gloss over, just put it in the category of it's just respecting God or whatever. It's actually much deeper than that. Now, I can almost already feel that there's a lot of objection saying, yeah, I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, but doesn't the Bible say perfect love casts out all fear? And doesn't the Bible, Bible say God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind? And, and, and I want to just start by saying that those verses don't at all talk about the fear of God, and I feel like I must just address that up front so that I can just get into it properly. Um, but let's just first go to 1 John 4, verse 16 to 18. So it says, um, so we have come to know and so believe that love, uh, the love God, that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's just the background. By this love, perfected with us so that uh, we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And this is now the verse that everybody knows. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The context is talking about if, God, if we abide in God and his love is in us and we're in his love, we don't have to fear judgment. We, we can confidently actually approach him on the day of judgment, and we know that we're secure. And that's what it talks about here, that the fear that it's talking about is the fear of punishment, the fear of judgment. But that perfect love of God casts out that fear of punishment. So it's not talking about the fear of God, it's talking about the fear of judgment. And then 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, well-known verse, it just says, um, God has not given you a spirit of fear but of, um, or timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline or a sound mind. And again, this is the context where Paul is writing to Timothy. It's, it's uh, Timothy is seemingly starting to struggle a little bit with the persecution that he's facing and the opposition. And then Paul is encouraging him, saying, don't be cowardly, don't be timid in the face of persecution. Rather, God has given you a spirit of love and of power and of, sound, of a sound mind. So, so proclaim the gospel unashamedly, like boldly. That is the context of, of that verse, like God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of essentially boldness to proclaim the gospel. Another verse that uh, something we should also not fear is man, and I think uh, that came out in one of the songs very nicely as well. But uh, in Matthew 10, verse 28, um, I'm just going to read it here. It says, do not be afraid of those who kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So it says, don't fear man, rather fear God. Man can only do something to your body, to your physical body but they can't do anything to the eternal condition of your soul. They can't cast your soul into hell or bring it into heaven. God only alone has that authority. And because he has that authority, there is an appropriate fear that we should have for him. 
So the fear of God is, is a biblical concept. It's throughout the entire Bible. It's not just something that's in the Old Testament and then now in the New Testament. We don't need to fear God anymore. It is throughout. God is the same God today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And uh, yeah, the, the types of fear we shouldn't have is fear of judgment, the fear of man, and being cowardly or timid. Um, in other words, not bold to share the gospel. But we should have the fear of the Lord. And if we go to Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 to 14, uh, this is now, if you know Ecclesiastes, it's a, if you're depressed, don't read that book. It's, it's a very depressing book. But uh, yeah, at the end of the, uh, Solomon's long, like going in all directions, he tried everything and everything is just pointless and meaningless. At the end of the day, he comes to this conclusion. He says, um, so that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, now usually when I read that, I'm, I'm focusing on the, the, the bad things I'm doing in secret, and I don't want that to be judged. But actually, God says, do good things in secret as well. Just wanted to throw that in there. But the, the point that he's making is, this is the bottom line, verse 13. That this is man's all, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. It, um, it says, you know, this is the whole duty of man in the... Uh, good news translation, it, it says in the nice way, it says, this is all that we were created for. So if anyone asks you, what, what were you created for? To fear God and to keep his commandments. And the, if, if that is the point of it all, if that's the bottom line that Solomon came to after like, investigating life in all directions, why is that not more central in our lives then? Is the fear of the Lord and actually keeping his commandments, which is, I would say, a consequence of the fear of the Lord. It's not like, I fear God and I keep his commandments. If you fear God, you will keep his commandments. Those two go entirely hand in hand. Now, a couple of things that, that uh, also makes it more clear that th this fear of the Lord is quite central is um, verses like Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, verse 7, it says, um, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's the beginning of knowledge. Now, uh, this is Stellenbosch. I also studied here and currently work here. And I can tell you that no amount of degrees or studying will give you true knowledge. True knowledge can only be obtained through the fear of the Lord. So what is the true knowledge that it's referring to? It's, it becomes a bit more clear in Proverbs 2, verse 5. In Proverbs 2, verse 5, it says, um, that's now, if you truly seek after wisdom, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. That is the knowledge that it's talking about, also in, in Proverbs 1, verse 7, is the knowledge of God. So if you fear the Lord, you will gain true knowledge of Him. So I want to say that you can't have a deep knowledge or understanding of God without proper fear of the Lord. To put it in a different sense, you cannot even begin to truly know God, have a relationship with Him, if the fear of the Lord is not in place. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning point of knowledge of God. It's not like, okay, we, we progress in life, and then, okay, some point we get the fear of the Lord, and now we like, just go deeper. It's the beginning point. That's the place it should be positioned. Similar to Proverbs 9, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There again, the idea of knowledge of the Holy One and knowledge of God. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So um, if you want to have any possibility of having godly wisdom in your life, it starts with the fear of the Lord. It is again the beginning point, the foundation stone of these things. Okay, so in a bit of a summary of these thoughts, um, from the fear of the Lord, you gain wisdom, you gain knowledge, you gain understanding. And these things together, if you read through Proverbs, you hear these three words coming up the whole time. And it, it's almost like these aspects is essential for any kind of meaningful life. So if you want to live life to the full, to, in a satisfying way that it's 
um, pleasing to God, but also useful to the, to, I don't know, the, uh, the people in the world. These three, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are essential, and they all start from the fear of the Lord. Because I've not, I, I think I've bought the case that the fear of the Lord is central, but what is the fear of the Lord? I think that is the, the bigger one that um, it's sometimes hard to define. And I, I, th- I, I think the most common one that you usually hear is just it means to have reverence for God, to have great respect for God, and that is, that is true. I just want to unpack that a bit more. Um, and I want to maybe start by saying that the type of the fear of the Lord that you will have is going to be different whether you're an unbeliever or whether you're a believer. So maybe just to put it in a different way, you will have a different type of fear of the Lord if you have not yet been saved or, or actively um, rejected God's salvation. So if you've not been saved and you've not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then you have one type of fear. And if you um, have accepted the Lord, but then you are just living life as a Christian, there's a, another type of fear. I'm going to start with the, um, the, those that, that who reject God who are actively living in sin. In uh, Romans 3 verse 18, it says, uh, just very basically, it says, they have no fear of the Lord at all. That's not talking about unbelievers. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord in a biblical sense, it is actually reserved for believers. Those that believe in God have fear of the Lord. It's not actually something that an unbeliever has, although they ought to, they are rightfully, right to be afraid of a holy God, like falling into the hands of holy God, because at some point they will have to appear before this righteous judge, being fully guilty, and then just awaiting judgment for eternal punishment. And th- that eternal punishment is, is hell or eternal death or eternal separation from God. And I, I just want to read a verse that I, it's similar to the one I did, uh, read earlier. It's in Luke 12, verse 5. It says, um, but I, w- I will show you, this is not Jesus speaking, he says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after uh, your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is encouraging us to fear God, uh, understanding his authority. And then um, just Hebrews 10 verse 31, it says, it is a fearful thing or it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's again talking about if you're outside of Jesus. So that's, that's the condition of the unbeliever. Now for the believer, the fear of the Lord is somewhat different. It's not this being terrified of a judgment or something, as we were just reading, if you're in Christ, if you're in Jesus, that perfect love casts out that fear of judgment, that you no longer have to live in that fear, but then the proper fear of the Lord uh, should take its place. And uh, one place where you kind of see this being described in, in, in words other than just the statement, because you usually just see the word fear the Lord, and it doesn't really explain what they mean by that. <laughs> so in Hebrews 12, verse 25, it says, um, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, that's not talking about Israel, um, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. And then it says, and thus, and it's now verse uh, 28 and 29, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now that, that word reverence and awe, that is, that is actually a good description of the fear of the Lord. And I just want to take it one step back. It says, Let us offer acceptable worship to the Lord. What is acceptable worship? What does it look like? It's worship that's with reverence and awe. So let's just take this morning, for example. You being on your face before God, worshiping Him, that is with reverence and awe. There's a weightiness of God's presence here, and you acknowledge it, and you posture yourself in a way that says, God, I acknowledge you are greater. 
if you're sitting distracted, scrolling through Facebook while the worship is going on, that is not worshiping God with reverence and awe. That, that's one way you can check whether the fear of the Lord is actually in your heart. It's if there is a space where his presence is, what is your response in that space? So let's just look at these two words, reverence and awe. I'm going to start with the word awe. So um, unfortunately, awe has become a little bit of a, a cheap word, I would say, in our culture. And uh, it's just everything's awesome. And it's just like not, not really doesn't have the weight that it typically used to have in English. But the, the word awe in the Greek, if you just translate it literally, it means to be cowardly, timid, or fearful. <laughs> so if I read that definition, I'm almost thinking of, your knees are quivering. It's not like you're standing in proudly standing there before God. It's like, hey, look at me. It, there's a humility in your posture saying, like, I acknowledge that you're God. I am not. You're not like me. <laughs> I have to revere you and give you the proper acknowledgement and, and weight that you deserve. And, and that's, again, the similar thing with reverence. It just literally just means to have a deep respect for someone. But um, it's a very weighty word. And, and if you think about revere, you can only revere someone if you very highly esteem that person. If you do not put them in a high esteem, then they're not much to you. Like they can say anything, what do you care? But if you have them in high esteem and they say something, you hang on every single word that comes from their mouth. And you, if they ask you to do something, you try everything in your power to do that. That's the idea of um, reverence. And the, the great thing with if you properly revere God, which means that you've got a high view of God, means that you then have a low view of yourself which is not a bad thing, because if you have a high view of yourself, then you're going to just do things which makes yourself feel nicer. Then you fall into selfishness. Whatever is nice for me, I deserve this, I need this, I should get this. That is a high view of self. high view of God is, God, what do you say? What do you want me to do? What is on your heart? So, yeah, how do we get a high view of God? I think um, the, the two ways, and this is just my experience, how you gain the high view of God is, by spending a lot of time with him, like in prayer, just really on your face, God speak, what do you say? And then also, we have the privilege of having the, the Bible. Um, many people in the world don't have the Bible. So the Holy Spirit and Jesus is enough, but the Bible is an amazing resource to learn what God has revealed about himself to us. And we, we read the stories that he's left there for us in the Bible to learn more about God so that we can properly put him in high esteem. Um, the, the stories in the Bible is not primarily about Moses and Joseph and Abraham. It's about what is God like in their lives. And then we see how he operates in their lives and we learn actually something about God that we can then relate to. So given this definition for the Christian, reverence and awe, and, and, and uh, even the statement of fear of the Lord, all of these are obviously weighty words. And I don't want you to lose the impact of the weightiness of those words because that is important to understand what the fear of the Lord is and actually living it out. But I just want to nuance it on the other side because there's now this uh, side which I think people have a misunderstanding about, and it's that as a Christian, we ought not to be scared of God. We don't need to be afraid of God. We have the fear of the Lord, but we don't need to be afraid of God. And, and just to kind of state the obvious, the Bible encourages us or like really drives this point forward that God wants to have relationship with his people. Now, how do you have relationship with someone that you're scared of? Like, that's just not going to work. <laughs> so there's a place for reverence. Like, for example, a father-son type of relationship. The son reveres the father, but there's still relationship. So re reverence doesn't break relationship. It actually creates a safe space for it. Fear, uh, like being scared or being afraid, prevents proper relationship. So we're not to be scared of God. Um, and in fact, we have actually no reason to be scared of God because he gives us promises such as that um, 
nothing can separate us from his love, Romans 8, verse 38, 39. And we also have the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Um, forsaking, obviously, meaning that we want him there, so he won't forsake us, um, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Now, this tension between the fear of the Lord and being scared, um, it's not like a new thing. It's, it's actually quite clear, uh, clearly illustrated in Exodus 20. So Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments being given. So Moses is on the mountain. God gives the Ten Commandments. He writes it with his finger in this tablets of stone. It's like fire and lighting. It's a huge thing going on. And uh, then Moses comes down to the people um, in Exodus 20, verse 20. And, he said, uh, and Moses said to the people, Do not fear... For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So I'm just going to read that again. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So the, it sounds initially like a bit of a contradiction. Like it's kind of like it says, do not fear, God has come to test you whether his fear is in you. It's like, do not fear, but is his fear in me? Like the, the, it seems like a contradiction, but it's only a contradiction if you equate the fear of the Lord with being scared of God. God is actually saying here, Oh, Moses is saying to the people, do not be scared of God. God has actually come to check whether the proper weightiness of who he is is in you, whether the proper fear of him is actually in you. Let me just go back to my notes here. Okay, so um, someone that is scared of God, if, if, if you're scared of God, then you would... You, you would only be scared of God if you've got something to hide. If you don't have anything to hide, then you will actually want to run to God because that is a place where you'll be safe. And uh, this idea of running away from God and uh, um, running to him is also quite clearly shown in John 3, verse 19 to 21. So this is after that famous passage where it talks about uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Then a little bit on it goes, this Jesus unpacks that a little bit for Nicodemus and then he says, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that this, these deeds have been carried out in God. So if you do wicked things and you're sinful, and you have something to hide, then you probably don't want to come to the light so that it is exposed. So that's when you hide. That's when you're actually scared of God in a sense. But if you live in the light and deal with things as they come up, everybody still sins. If you deal with things as they come up, confess it before the Lord, then he's faithful and uh, just to forgive you your sins, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That is coming into the light, coming to the light, running to Jesus in every situation. And that's clearly how we ought to live as Christians, is we ought to be people of the light, being a light to others, but running to the light um, itself as well. So then this idea of saying, okay, well, the fear of the Lord is actually running towards God, running to the light, instead of running away from him, being scared or hiding away from him. I want to propose another definition of the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord, as I was saying, is reverence and awe, but let's look at another way of looking at it. The fear of the Lord is to be terrified of being away from God. I'm just going to say that again. The fear of the Lord is to be terrified of being away from God because with God, there is safety. Away from God, there is like just calamity. Um, and, and I think one of the greatest images that, that's kind of just in, in general fiction to try to illustrate this is the picture of Aslan in the um, Chronicles of Narnia. So if you don't know the story, um, 
basically there are these kids that somehow enter into this fantasy world, and in this fantasy world, what plays off there is is a kind of an analogy for um, the spiritual battle thing that's going on um, in the spiritual realm, if you want to say it like that. And there's this one big central character, Aslan. He's a lion. He, he's representative of Jesus. And in many ways, you see actually some of Jesus' characteristics in this lion, uh, in this picture. And one great thing about this lion is when you initially meet him, he's, he's meek, he's, he's calm, and he's like a lot of compassion in his eyes. And, and the kids can, uh, that enter into this world, they can play with him. They can actually um, enjoy his presence. They can run their hand through his, his mane and stuff like that, which is there's safety with him. But on the flip side, if you're not with him, if you're one of the enemy people in the story, and you're busy running away from this lion, and this lion is busy chasing you, that is a terrifying place to be. <laughs> this lion is going to rip you to shreds. There's no defense that you have. While if you're with him, you're actually safe. That is the picture, I think, that illustrates the fear of the Lord properly. Is you want to be with him. The moment that you start running away from him, he's going to pursue you, but then having a running lion behind you is not, not such a fun experience. Okay, so for the Christian, instead of the fear of the Lord, meaning that you're scared of him, means that you have such a great reverence for him that it has an impact on every aspect of your life. Um, fearing God means that in your heart and your mind, um, God is so powerful, so holy, and so awesome that you would not dare run away from him, but only run to him. I'm going to read that again. Fearing God means that God is in your heart and your mind so powerful, so holy, and so awesome that you would not dare run away from him, but only run to him. And, and in fact, um, it prevents, the fear of the Lord prevents you from running away from him. It's, it's a preservative, if you will. And uh, I'm going to take you to Romans 11, verse 9 to 21. And in the context of this passage is Paul is uh, painting this picture of, of Israel and the Gentiles. And he says that Israel, they used to be the, the natural branches of this olive tree. And then, essentially, due to unbelief, because they rejected Jesus, they were cut off from this olive tree. But now that they're cut off, there was space made so that the Gentiles can be grafted into this olive tree and become part of, essentially, the people of God. Um, but then Paul goes on to say, he says, Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. It's like, great, like I'm now secure. Um, then Paul says, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. And that point is quite important, that... They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now that ought to just make you stand still for a second to not just become too comfortable with, oh, I'm just saved, I can just do whatever. You must remain in faith. Because if you fall back into unbelief, then you will be broken off. In, in the... Um, uh, ESV that I've got here, it says, um, but do not stand fast through, uh, <laughs> but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. So don't become proud in your position, rather step into the fear of God that will keep you, preserve you, and keep you safe um, until the day of salvation. And this is the same idea in Philippians 2 verse 12 where it says, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's the same idea. Um, it's not that you're not saved, but it's continue to stay saved in a sense by working it out through fear and trembling. And that's, again, the fear of the Lord. Do you have that weight for him? Um, do you tremble whenever you have the inclination to run away from God? Or do you 
just willingly run after your own sin, not actually caring that you're running away from God. So many people do not fear running to their sin away from God. They do not actually tremble at his word. They do not tremble at, uh, like, work out their salvation with fear and trembling. May we not be like that. If you'd recognize that in yourself, today is the day to make that point to, to turn and actually work out your salvation again with fear and trembling. I just want to read a couple more verses, some of the benefits of the fear of the Lord. Um, one general idea is that it keeps you away from evil or keeps you away from sin. Um, and in Proverbs 3, verse 7 to 8, it says, be not, uh, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Um, just going to read that again. And this is, this is something that the, uh, the Lord dealt with me a, a while ago. And I think he's still dealing with, with me regarding this. But it's do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not think that you've actually accomplished anything. Don't think that you know anything. But rather, fear the Lord. Go into that posture of humility before God. Turn away from evil. That is enabled by the fear of the Lord. And then he will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs 16, verse 6. It says, Be steadfast, uh, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So if you struggle to turn away from evil, whatever it might be, I know many people are caught in habitual sin. The fear of the Lord is the means by which you turn away from evil. By his grace, he enables you, but it's by the fear of the Lord that one turns away from evil. Um, Proverbs 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord, ah, sorry, I lost the order. Uh, to fear the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So there's lots of things, pride, arrogance, and perverted speech you hate because you now fear the Lord. But the point is, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. So if I could put it another way, if you fear the Lord, your heart becomes merged with God's heart. What God loves, you love. What God hates, you hate. What God doesn't consider so important, you don't consider so important. That is a heart that's joined with God. It's actually walking in step with his spirit. So I was, uh, earlier I was quoting Proverbs 1 verse 7 where I was saying that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge of God. And that's obviously an aspect of relationship with him. Now I want to um, delve a little bit deeper into that one aspect. And in Psalm 25 verse 14, it says, The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Now, it's easy to read over this, this verse over here. It says, the, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. It's, it's, God says essentially, I only give friendship to my people that fear me. So friendship is reserved for those that fear him. It's not just, oh, I'm a friend of God. It's reserved for those who fear him. You see a similar idea in um, John 15 verse 14 where Jesus is speaking. And he just plainly says, you are my friends if you do what I command. What type of earthly friendship is that? <laughs> so if, if, for example, I say, Keith, hey, Keith, you're my friend if you do what I command. It, it's... <laughs> So, so the, the point is that the friendship with God is of somewhat a different nature than our friendship with other people on, on earth. He's not my, my buddy that I'm just going to be hanging out with and just like have a fun time with, although we can have a lot of fun with God. Um, but he, is a, he's, he calls 
people his friend that properly revere him and if you properly fear him then there will be an obedience or a keeping of his commandments that naturally follow from that um, many people say that they love Jesus or they say that Jesus is my friend but they do not fear the Lord and I want, I'm just trying to make the point that you can't separate these two you can't separate I love God and I fear God as in like as if these are two separate things that you can love him without fearing him if you fear him you will love him and if you love him without fear, that's not true love. Now, I want to talk about some more benefits of the fear of the Lord. And again, this is one of those Psalms, Psalm 103, that it's very easy to kind of just read over things. And it's like, ah, oh, look at all of these amazing things. And you miss the crucial point in the middle of it where it's explained these are conditional things. Um, so in uh, Psalm 103, verses 8, I'm going to start reading there. Um, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Um, he, will, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now, this is all good things. Like, we all want this aspect of God, that he is merciful, he doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities. And it says, why does he do all of these things? It says in verse 11, for... As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. He does all of these things because of his steadfast love to those that fear him. That is the key point that makes all of the other things applicable to you. If you do not fear him, then these things don't automatically apply. And then in verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father does, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So it's, everyone wants to claim, I'm a child of God. But first of all, is there actually love of God? Like, do you actually believe in Jesus? <laughs> Have you been born again? Because when you're born again, you become a child of God in the act of being born again. Then you become born of God. You're not, everyone isn't just a child of God. Those that are born again are children of God. And those that are born again should automatically fear the Lord. And that's what it says here. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And then a little bit further in the psalm, Psalm uh, 103, verse 17, it says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. We all want to claim the steadfast love of the Lord, but it's from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And the, his righteousness um, to your children's children. And uh, uh, Sorry? And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So if we want to gain all of these benefits of God, the key of all of these things is the fear of the Lord. Now, if you obviously want to come close to God, you must know what he delights in. If you want to have a friendship with anyone, you need to know what makes this other person happy. Or what, is, like, what, what can make this other person's heart smile? If you can put it in that way. And uh, Psalm 147, verse 10 and 11 um, tells us what makes God's heart smile. It says, I take no pleasure in the strength of horses or in human might. So if you think you've got anything to show off to God, he's not impressed by that. It says, no, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. And, and I think this is a great verse that balances these two, that the fear of the Lord is automatically coupled with you putting your hope in his unfailing love. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless and perfect and perfect in every single way of your life. It means that you put him in his proper place in your heart where you acknowledge that he is greater than you and he demands your 
obedience and you, you're humble before him. But in that place, you also put your hope fully in his salvation, his mercy, his grace, and his unfailing love. So these are not separate things. It's, it's one joint thing. I'm heading towards the end here. And Isaiah 66 verse 2, um, a very famous passage, but it says, uh, I'm just going to read the second part. It says, these are the ones I will look on with favor. This is not God speaking. The Lord says, these are the ones I will look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Someone who fears the Lord trembles at God's word. It's, in fact, a manifestation of whether you truly fear God. Is Do you actually tremble at his word? When he speaks, do you stand still and listen to what he says? Or is it like, okay, I'll put it on the back, back burner or maybe pray about it a little bit or whatever. Is, does his word being spoken to you have that weight in your heart? Do you tremble at his word? Um, and uh, one way that you can determine whether you tremble at his word is whether there is instant obedience in your life. So when he speaks, do you instantly obey? And one of the best examples um, of this, I feel, is Abraham. Uh, he obeyed instantly. And in Genesis 22, verse 2 to 3, God speaks to Abraham and says, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, just for a second, get into Abraham's mind. He's been trusting God for like 20 years for Isaac to be born. Then finally, after 20 years of putting his faith and trust consistently in God, finally, Isaac is born. And now Isaac has grown up. He's becoming now a young, like a, a boy, a young man. And now God says to Abraham, okay, Isaac, go and sacrifice him. Go and kill him, essentially. It's like, okay, God, I do not understand this. Yet you never hear him say, he's not, he doesn't argue with God. There's no point, at least it's not recorded, that he's like, okay, but God, just explain to me how is this working out. Um, okay, but God, just wait a second. I'm just going to go pray about it for a month, and then I'll get back to you on this. He doesn't do that. The, the Bible says the next morning, Abram got up early and set out his donkey. He, he immediately obeyed. He, he didn't delay in any way. He got up early before he would usually get up to get ready to leave on this journey to do what God has asked him. And then when he gets to the, the Mount Moriah and he, he puts Isaac on the um, altar and he's about to um, sacrifice him, then the angel of, of the Lord appears to him and stops him. And then he's, it says in Genesis 22 verse 12, then the angel of the Lord said, now I know that you fear God. He didn't say, oh, because of your heart's like, position, I know that you fear God. It was in his actions, in his instant obedience, that it became evident that he fears God. So it, it's not enough to just in your heart have the good intentions of doing something. It has to come across in actions. Um, if I ask Luca, for my son, if I ask him to do something and uh, he has the good intention of doing what I asked him, but he doesn't do it, he still hasn't obeyed me. <laughs> it's not helped anything. So obedience, actually doing the thing is what's of importance, not the in intent of your heart. And after all of this, one really, really cool thing to me is um, in Isaiah 41 verse 8, it's not a Lord speaking where the Lord just says, Abraham, my friend. So I was mentioning earlier that friendship with God is reserved for those that fear him. Abraham very clearly proved that he feared God. And then Abraham refers to him as Abraham, my friend. Or, or God refers to Abraham as Abraham, my friend. Imagine, that, like I'm just thinking of myself now. Imagine I could hear at some point, God says, Rensu, my friend. 
I'm like, that's just such a beautiful, intimate place to be at. Instead of just, I'm claiming friendship with God for my side. If God says, Brent, you my friend, that's got an entirely different weight to it. So kind of in closing, the, uh, I think one of the big questions is, how do you gauge whether you truly fear the Lord? And I, I want to just put two things. I've mentioned a few things throughout, but I just want to highlight two things. Um, if in your heart, in your life, in every situation, in every decision you make, you find that you have a tendency to always r- constantly run towards God instead of running away from Him and hiding away from Him and running after your own sinful desires, that is a good indication that you fear the Lord. If you always run to Him instead of running to your own sinful desires. Another one is immediate obedience. Do you tremble at His word? When He speaks, does it make you stuff, stand still for a second? It's like, okay, God, I heard you. I will do this even though it doesn't make any sense to me, even though I don't see the benefit, even though there is nothing in me that tells me that this is a good idea, if I see that, or if I am convinced that you have spoken to me, I will obey. And obviously with wisdom, it's good to just bounce it with some leaders as well in some situations, especially if it's a little bit like go and kill your son. <laughs> but but uh, it's, Yes, the, the point that I'm making is that is that heart obedience there for you to obey immediately or do you always just like, no, I don't understand this. Okay, God, you first have to convince me that this is a good idea before I will actually obey. Okay. Um, and the, yeah, this is kind of the last thought is, is that the fear of the Lord ought to be our delight. We often think of the fear of the Lord as being this just heavy thing. It's just this weighty thing, and it is. Because God is heavy and weighty, and he's, he's magnificent and glorious. But if we look at two, these two places that I found, in Nehemiah 1 verse 11, this is Nehemiah now praying to God, and he, he just says the following. It says, I delight to fear your name. He, to Nehemiah, it was a delight of his to fear the Lord. It wasn't just, oh, there's something I have to do, some extra thing I have to do. It was the way he was doing life with God, is through the fear of the Lord. And then... Isaiah 11, verse 2 to 3, this is a prophetic picture of Jesus. And um, it says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's not Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Again, two things that come from the fear of the Lord. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or dispute by what his ears hear. Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord. It was his joy. It was the thing that if he had anything to do in life, it was like, I want to invest my time and energy in growing in my fear of the Lord, in my, my proper respect and putting him in the highest team. Now, obviously, he was God, so I understood why this is important. But we ought to imitate him in this way, that the fear of the Lord should become our delight as well. And then in, in this place of the fear of the Lord, why can it be a delight? It's a delight because that's where we're safe. If you know the Lord and you fear him, then you can run to this tower, like the, the righteous run into this tower of the name of the Lord, and they are safe. That is, that's where you want to be. That's where you want to hide yourself, is in the fear of the Lord, in the strong tower, which is his name. So that's why it can be a delight. So yeah, that's, that's all I had to share with you today. And I, I want to kind of, Acknowledge that there's two responses that someone can have, myself included, to a message like this. And the one is to say, okay, great, I hear you, but I'm like, I'm okay. Another, another thing could be like, okay, I really need to 
repent. I need to shift things in my life. I need to put things in place, um, get rid of some aspects, add some other aspects into my life to get the fear of the Lord in its proper place. And, and in Proverbs 28 verse 14, it says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Whenever you hear a hard message, it's easy to just harden your heart <laughs> and just say, I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with this right now. But that can't be an excuse. It's through repentance that we actually get to a place of having a soft, yielded heart to God that is useful to God. If we're not humble before God, we are not useful, uh, a useful instrument in His hands. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just submitting this to you that you've got two choices before you today. Will you fear the Lord today and in every decision you make? Or will you decide to harden your heart and not actually fear the Lord, not actually do what is necessary to walk this out? Um, just in Joshua 24, verse 14, it says, uh, this is this famous part of, yeah, I'll just read it. Um, There's a bit of my own paraphrase here. It says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away your idols, all the things that you deem important that you spend your time, your energy and money on. And if it is not good in your eyes to, f to serve or to fear the Lord, choose this name who you will serve, whether your own idols or the living God. But as for me and my house, we will serve and fear the Lord. That was Joshua's commitment. May that be every one of our commitments. And uh, just before I, I kind of yeah, give a moment for response, the, um, it's, it's easy in the moment now as I'm sharing this to, to say, okay, great, I need to do something. But the test of whether you really fear the Lord comes when you walk out of this building. When you're back in life, when you're back in the challenges of situations that you have to face and and everything is, all the enticements of the world is again there. What are you doing then? That is the test of whether you truly fear the Lord. So I want to make a call for, for two people today. And Laura, if you can maybe play a little bit on the piano. Um, so you might be, have listened to this entire message and, and come to a realization that actually, you know what? I don't fear the Lord at all. I might not even know God at all. I might not have ever actually given my life to him. And in, in that situation, you fall into the category where it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to tell you today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Respond to this. Repent and run to Jesus. That is where you have salvation and safety, is in Jesus. That is the, he, he has died for your sins so that you can be redeemed and free from this bondage of this world that you have, that you don't know how to break free from. And he's calling you to come to him. If, you're, if you feel like you respond to that aspect, that, that you feel like the Lord is tugging at your heart, I've never feared you. I've never actually committed my life to you. I've never actually come to this place where I feel like I'm safe with you. I constantly feel like I'm scared of you. Can I just ask you to nudge someone next to you, close to you, that you know does love Jesus? Can you just give them some kind of an indication that, listen, I need to respond to this. And then chat afterwards. Please don't let this moment pass by chat afterwards to that person, come chat to me, chat to one of the elders. Um, so we really get this thing of the fear of the Lord and actually salvation, that's what you need, is salvation of Jesus that he has offered. Get this aspect of life in its proper place. And then the, the second group of people that I want to make a call to is um, you, you might have realized that I don't actually fear the Lord the way I ought to. And, and I actually, personally, I feel like I'm I'm quite unqualified to bring this message. I don't fear the Lord as I ought to. Um, 
And I, I want to ask for you today, repent and run to Jesus as well. Run to the light. That is where you will find life. You won't find life if you stay living for your own desires and your own wills. You will find life in Jesus alone. So if, if you ever need, need to repent, need to lay things before him, need to actually make a note to say, I need to change this thing. I need to cut this aspect of my life. I need to add this aspect into my life, whether it is um, you know, things that you find control you, distract you from God, doesn't actually make you move closer to God, but actually drives you further. Lay those things before him. It's not going to be easy. It is definitely going to be hard, but it will be worth it because in him there is life. So for both those groups, I just want to give five minutes of just silence, reflection, just you and God, you do business with God. Whatever you need to acknowledge to Him, whatever you need to confess, repent that now. And He is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Thank you so much. It was really a good, good message. I want to encourage you guys. Yeah, let's let's uh, 
keeping our hearts before God in this. I know I like to bring my heart before God. It's a refreshing to let the Spirit come and speak to us. And we think sometimes we've got it all in a line and we don't. And it's so good. The Lord works. He comes and shows us in our hearts where we need to get our lives straight again. So thank you. So yeah, guys, um, just for the visitors, those slips that you guys got, you can go give it in there by the, um, the coffee station. Get a free coffee. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And a, a, a remember about our corner, that if you guys want to go um, spend some time with them, awesome. Thanks, guys.